It's Friday, it's game week, and that must mean it is time once again for the Tracks Plus Deep Dig. I'm Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory here with me. And one more time, we're going to get together, dig through these numbers, and preview this football game, Mississippi State, going on the road to Memphis. I'm not going to call them Memphis State, although I still want to for my younger years. Mississippi State at Memphis tomorrow. We are in the Farm Bureau studios. This is our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. And Bart, this is our segment. For those of you who haven't heard this, this is the time we get together. We kind of geek out a little bit. We get into some of the numbers and we try to give a little more of an in-depth preview of the football game, looking at some stats and numbers. This is different from our other shows. Yeah, it really is. It's kind of like the Geek Squad. Is that Best Buy, the Geek Squad? I think that is. Okay. And it's funny, Charlie, you talk about it, about how this is different than anything we do. And I got a couple text messages earlier in the week, and they were talking about, hey, we listened to your show last week, and we started talking about NC State going left, about how they like to run 82% of the time to the left. And, hey, they stayed with that last week. And a buddy of mine was like, hey, I was telling everybody that I knew in the tailgate, this team's going to go left. I was listening to Martin Charlie. And so, anyway, this is the, our number show. And to be honest with you, Charlie, a lot of times we're kind of off the cuff with our comments and our insight and analysis. But, man, I'm a numbers guy. I love getting in and going deep inside of numbers of the game. Well, today is your chance. As we do on our Friday show, we're always on this Tracks Plus Deep Dig. We open up. Each of us will have a – Opening comment about the game, then we'll do our 3-2-1 where we'll talk about three numbers, two players, and one coach that we're looking at in this ball game, and we'll always end up with our two brothers two-minute drill. That's where we just kind of capture our notes. What was it Rick Cleveland used to say? Notes, quotes, and a thought or two. And an opinion or two, wasn't it? Was it a thought thought or two or an opinion or two? Maybe an opinion or two. I miss seeing Rick Cleveland in paper. You can read it online now, but I kind of miss seeing. I miss seeing paper. Okay. All right. You're going to do this every single time we talk. We're going to take a shot at newspapers. No, I'm not. I'm not taking. It's just the way the world's changing. and It's sad. I'm I'm nostalgic. I'll take a shot. I like getting in the car and listening to high school football on Friday nights. And I used to love waking up on a Sunday and picking up a newspaper. And, well, here we are. That's why we do Sunday coffee. But, Bart, let's uh, no further ado. Let's just get right into this. Your opening thoughts on this ball game for tomorrow. Okay, I thought I went first last week. So I was prepared for you to go first today. And you complained about it last week, too. So let's just go. I'm going to go. No more excuses. All right, here we go. All right, we talk about Memphis. And last week we talked about NC State and where they like to distribute the football. Let's kind of go back with that same thought today because when I started really diving into the numbers and looking at Memphis – This is a third straight team that has a completely different passing style that we've seen this year. I think of the first game against Louisiana Tech, it was more of a horizontal passing game. Short passes look very similar to what we do. And then last week against NC State, it was more of a horizontal, but it was 10 to 15 yards down the field to the outsides, primarily to the left. Here's the thing about Memphis. They are a completely different style. They throw the football a lot, but 77% of their time, They throw the football in the middle of the field. Last week against Arkansas State, they were 16 of 19 for 323 yards. They had just a little over 400 yards in total passing last week, but 323 came in the middle of the field where they were 16 of 19. 
they use vertical passing game, not over-the-top vertical, but they use the passing game between 10 and 20 yards in the middle of the field. They are going to try to exploit linebackers and safeties. So that's the go-to for this team. All right, so that's your opening thoughts on this ball game. Before I share mine, let me do remind everyone we are brought to you by Trax Plus. This is our Trax Plus deep dig. I'm going to get a chance to get out and get on some of that equipment today. I've talked on this show a couple of times about never having been on a tractor, never having been on a piece of equipment. That has brought great consternation to Mark Gregory. So Chris Weems is going to hook us up today. We're going down to a, an equipment show. We're going to see some of that Barco equipment, some of that Saney equipment. And then before the day's over, I'm going to be on a mini excavator or something. I don't even know if I want on a mini excavator. You want on the big deal? Yeah. At this point, if you're going, let's go all in. You want the deep dig equipment, the yeah. Saney deep dig. Do I yes. need a license to do this? No, well, if if you do, this it, it will already have happened by the time the show is aired. So okay. it, it'll be after the fact. I am going to document. You know this. This this will not be a situation where you just show up and you get up there on the controls. This will be documented in many many ways. And tracks plus that Barco equipment, the forestry world, and then you have that Saney equipment with the construction world, Rayco, Demisimov. I mean, those. Big mulching heads, man! I tell you what, they got it going on—a business that continues to grow at Tracks Plus. All right, Charlie, what's your opening statement? Like Mississippi State, Memphis is a team that can claim to be young, at least in spots. They're going to have a true freshman quarterback. They have a redshirt freshman at running back, and this is not a redshirt freshman running back who is taking the COVID year. It's a guy who carried the ball four times last year, but he's been really good so far, going over 160 yards a game on average. Like Mississippi State coming into the year last year, Memphis thought they were going to have a transfer quarterback. Grant Gannell was coming from Arizona. They were looking forward to pushing it down the field, throwing the football. He got hurt. He's gone, thus the young player. Look, this is a Memphis team that has had some big wins over the years. They've been to seven straight bowl games. They've won eight games per year. And if you go back, Larry Porter – Early in about 2010 through 2012, his Memphis teams were wretched. Almost to the point of, hey, let's just, you guys are terrible. You just need to stop football and just play basketball. They had an announced crowd one night in the Liberty Bowl at like 4,000. Remember that? Yeah, it was friends and family, and the friends all left in the first half or actually never came in from the parking lot. But Justin Fuente came in. He turned the program around, and then Mike Norvell, now at Florida State, this is a team that's capable of big plays. The receiver, Austin, has a 75-yard long play of the year. The running back, a 75-yard long play of the year. Here's the thing I'm looking for tomorrow, though, Bart. Memphis has kicked off the football 19 times this season. Only six have been for touchbacks. What we talk about, four straight games, Tulu Griffith has made the difference for Mississippi State. You start to look forward. You wonder how many return opportunities you will get as you start to see teams kick it into the end zone. Memphis has struggled to do that. Six touchbacks and 19 kickoffs. Two out of three says that Tulu is going to get some opportunities to return. Kick it to Tulu. That's what I want to see. Boy, when you take that, wouldn't you? So those are our opening thoughts on this ball game for tomorrow. Bart, anything we need to cover before we – Jump into our 3-2-1 here? No, nope, my mindset right now, my three numbers. I've got them in my head, and that's the only information that I can distribute at this moment. All right, well. Have at it? Have at it. My first number is two. It's very simple, very easy. Dose. 
two. And here's where it lies, okay? We need two interceptions in a game tomorrow. We talk about this Memphis team and how they have really done a great job of keeping the football. They have not turned it over hardly at all. They have been a very well-oiled machine on the offensive side. And we also talk about how they use the middle of the field. So what does tomorrow bring? It brings the situation of your linebackers having to, quote-unquote, wall off receivers. And it also brings safeties into play. Can you stop the run without the use of linebackers, and how will they play in that position between 10 and 20 yards in the middle of the field? That's going to be the big key. I think Zach Arnett's going to run a lot of different defenses. That's the thing that we do. Our base is three. We can do the old, hey, what everybody does to us, let's rush three and sit back with eight. We can do that. Or we can bring a linebacker. Or we can bring three. We can do so many different things, and we do it in our base packages under Zach Arnett. I think tomorrow with a freshman quarterback, we have a chance to make him swim a little bit. And when you start throwing it across the middle, where throwing it across the middle is different than the outside, tip balls become interceptions. I need at least two interceptions in this game tomorrow. All right, so that's your first number. Number two makes sense to me. I'd take two interceptions if you gave it to me right now. Yeah, and I think we're going to get it too. I think we'll get two interceptions in the game tomorrow. And I th- I'm going I'm to go out a little bit deeper than that. I say we get two interceptions on balls that are tipped before they're intercepted. Okay, wow, that, that is That's a lot. Be. I was going to say I would give you two by non-cornerbacks. Okay, yeah. Uh, is that a fair – well, there. It, it's it's fair, but sometimes those cornerbacks are, are working on slants toward the middle of the field, and so they may get a carom. You may see a Martin Emerson or a Emmanuel Forbes get a carom to ball that's popped up that you pick off tomorrow. All right, so that's your first number. What's your second? Second number is eight, and I love this stat, and I have beat it like a dead horse, and I am going to beat it all year long, and that's the average depth of target, and eight is my number for tomorrow. First game of the year, our average depth of target against Louisiana Tech was 3.6. We ran a lot of tunnel screens. Last week, it went up to 5.7. Memphis, to this point of the year, has been wretched in the secondary. They gave up 50 to Arkansas State last week, and they are particularly bad in the middle, kind of that area that we're talking about Memphis is going to try to exploit. That's where they're weak on the defensive side. I think that number needs to move to eight. We got two additional yards last week in average depth of target. We need two more this week. We need to rip that Band-Aid off and go down the field a little bit more, and I want an average depth of target for all of our receivers to be at eight. Okay, let, let me push back on that just a little bit. Now, I understand I tend to agree with you, but we in this Mike Leach offense, a couple of times a game, we are going to see what is effectively a pitch to a running back kind of a little forward pitch. And ideally, I'd like to see that four or five times a game. Sometimes you're going to see screens behind the line. When you look at this number, this depth of target number, are you willing to adjust for that? Not really. And, yes, I agree with you because I like to see marks on the outside one-on-one. What's the whole thing about offenses today? You want to see your best player against a secondary or someone one-on-one in space. But the reason I go back to that number of adding to that number really relies with the number 11, and that's Jaden Wally. His first week, he was 11 yards average depth of target. Last week, that slipped back to seven. I'm looking for Jaden Wally to have a big, big game tomorrow. And that's the reason I think that number is going to crawl closer to eight than dialing back to where it was last week around six. Okay, I can play along. 
And what's your final number? Final number is 15. Okay, 15. What I mean by 15, I need 15 pressures on the fine young freshman Seth Hennigan tomorrow. Last week, Mississippi State blitzed 19 times, 30 times, no blitz. So we only blitzed 39% of the time last week and created 13 pressures against Devin Leary, the quarterback at NC State. Here's the thing about Hennigan. He has only been pressured six times all year long. You need 15 pressures in the game tomorrow. It's that old football adage, that gata. Get after that Opposing tail. quarterback. Opposing quarterback. Get after that guy. we got to get after him. He's going to throw it more than Devin Leary of NC State. So that's the reason you've got to put pressure on him 15 times and get to him and hit him. And so that's my three numbers. Two interceptions, eight with the average depth of target for our receivers, and 15, 15 times that I want to see the young lad Seth Hennigan hit the turf or get pressure. All right, so you did your numbers working up this week, which kind of bucks a trend. We have tended to start with a high number and go down, and I'm nothing if not a traditionalist. And so I will work down with my numbers. Before I do, though, let me remind you, we are in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau has offices in all 82 counties. And that's one thing Bart Gregory knows. You know the number of counties in the state of Mississippi. Every seventh grader, we used to have it, Mississippi history. Know your county seats and all that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you also know a lot of those Farm Bureau agents who are out there, and they take care of you. And the good thing about Farm Bureau, and I say this from what I see in my job, there are a lot of insurance companies who will sell you the policy, but then they don't do a great job taking care of you once you have a problem. And the whole reason to get insurance is, in case you have a problem, and the guys at Farm Bureau, they are great. They get there immediately after problems. They're responsive. And, and I can tell you just from personal observation, these guys take care of their clients. They take care of their insurance. These are good guys to work with. It's communication. The world is about communication. If I need my insurance agent, they can text me, call me, and it's all about, hey, Bart, here's what we're looking at, and here's the reason why. Their communication at Farm Bureau, it's a must. If you're going to be a Farm Bureau agent, you better be a good communicator and someone that can service accounts, and that's what they've got throughout their entire organization. And they got some old Bulldogs. Jeffrey Ray's a Farm Bureau agent, Barry Patton. Some old Bulldog baseball players I know out there working as agents. But, Bart, let me get to my numbers. My numbers, as I mentioned, I'm going to work down. My first number for this week is 85. 85, and I think this complements your numbers, okay? If we're going to get pressure on the quarterback, I think it helps to make them one-dimensional. And I think one of the ways you do that is to hold Memphis to 85 yards rushing or fewer. Brandon Thomas, we talked about him earlier, the running back for Memphis, averaging almost 170 yards a game so far on the ground. Nobody really knew where he came from. Nobody expected to see him at the top of their depth chart. Figured Rodriguez Clark, a guy from Starkville, would be at the top of that depth chart. But Thomas, kind of out of nowhere, has a good fall, early fall that is, and works his way into the lineup. Here's what's interesting. We talked last week about NC State liking to run the ball to the outside. 258 of Thomas's 342 yards rushing have come between the tackles. He is getting about 70% of his yards right up the middle. And so you're going to be running at the Mississippi State linebackers. What does that mean? It might mean you see Jet Johnson play more, right? Because it's going to be an offense that's going to try to get that push downhill. Johnson had a good game last week. A little bigger guy, 
Maybe you're just trying to plug it up in the middle. Charlie, I go back to the point, that original point that I made about where they are going to attack with their offense in the middle of the field and about how important linebackers become. Because let me tell you something. If they are able to put hats on our defensive linemen with their linemen and able to get seams and able to get rushing yards and we have to utilize our linebackers coming up more, they are going to exploit us between 15 and 20 yards down the field in the middle of the passing game. And that's why. Holding them to less than 85, I agree with that point. If you can hold them rushing under 85 yards and you do it with your front line and maybe a linebacker or two, those outside guys, they can't they can't come in and help you as much tomorrow because that tight end is going to get them really in play. Yeah, I agree with that statement. You have got to stop the running game. As a young quarterback, it is one thing to be able to run the offense when the whole playbook is open to you. Take away part of that playbook from him. Make him one-dimensional make him have to stand in the pocket and throw it. He's not a dual-threat guy. He's not going to run it. See what you can do. And 43% of his attempts this year have been off of play action. How do you get good play off play action? A good running game. If you stop the running game, you don't worry about play action. Yeah, hand it to him. We don't care at that point. 24. 24 is the number of carries I want to see Mississippi State have tomorrow. Why do you want to see Mississippi State have only 24 carries? I am still a believer in workload as a concept. Right now, I think Mississippi State's defense has taken up too much of the workload. I understand that Mississippi State's offense has been consistent. I understand that we haven't always maintained drives. But there's a couple of ways to extend drives. One is running the football. Get some clock running. I am a big believer that Mississippi State is going to have to be more effective running the ball. They haven't done that this year. In fact, 24 carries tomorrow would just about equal what they've done all season long in terms of running the football. Last year, the last two games of the year, we had 28 carries against Missouri, 30 against Tulsa. Tomorrow, shorten the game, keep Memphis's high-powered offense off the field, run the football. I'm going to go deeper than that on first down. On first down plays this year, we have rushed 32% of the time and passed 68% of the time. And on those 32% rushes, on first down carries, we're only averaging 1.85 yards per carry. We haven't blocked it well. We haven't had any seams to run. Tomorrow against a Memphis defensive line that is not that great, you better get a better push, you better get better seams, and run it better on first down as well. Had that exact discussion yesterday doing an interview with the podcast out of Memphis, one of the rival sites. And the thing I said is, as much as you want to get caught up in being an air raid offense, it's a lot easier to run that offense starting at second and six than on second and ten. Run the football now and then. Get yourself four yards. And if you can do that, I'm not asking you to hit home runs. But if you can get into second and six, you're going to convert a lot of those because that really opens up the playbook for you throwing the football, running the football. I like running it. I like running it early in a series. And my final answer, zero. Bart, you don't need any <laughs> stats for this. I'm going to tell you, zero. Zero is the number of excuses, the number of apologies, the number of reasons that I will walk in here on Sunday morning for Sunday coffee and accept a loss to the University of Memphis. Memphis is a good football team. They're not as good as NC State. They're better than Louisiana Tech. But at the end of the day, they're the fourth best team in the American Athletic Conference. They are not a powerhouse. I get it. It's on the road. 
We're not talking about flying across the country. We're talking about driving to South Haven. That's a commute that you make just about every other day from here to Nanawoya, right? It is not a intimidating environment. The elements are not going to be unusual. The bottom line is you must go on the road and win these football games if you are to have a respectable team. You're better offensively than they are. You should be much, much better defensively, and their special teams aren't great. If you look at the numbers on this ball game and you look at the computers, they all tell you this is going to be a three- or four-point game. I've been wrong, and I have been spectacularly wrong before. I earnestly believe this is a ball game that Mississippi State should win by 10 points, maybe two touchdowns. I'm not predicting that they will. I'm saying they should. No excuses. You get on the bus, you go to Memphis, you take care of business, and you come home because you are the better football team. What does that set up if you do? You're 3-0 and and you got a big SEC weekend next week. I simply do not believe that Mississippi State can afford to go up and play bad in this game. Here's the things that stats do not tell you. The old category that says want to. The old want to. The thing about us, coming off a win last week at night, it was a good crowd, good atmosphere. Now you go on the road to Memphis, 3 o'clock game, non-conference game, going to be a little hot, maybe raining a little bit. You can kind of make excuses for you in your head. Like you said, you're not going to take excuses on Sunday. Now I agree with that. But I think about Memphis too. I think Memphis, looking at this game, when you start factoring all the factors that are going on in college football right now, where the Big 12 lost Oklahoma and Texas. Now, how did they backfill? They got three teams out of the American Athletic Conference. They got Houston. They got Cincinnati. They got Central Florida to add to BYU. Memphis really wanted bad to get a spot in that Big 12. Man, they really wanted to get a spot in that Big 12. And what are they trying to do? They are trying to build their football prowess. Now, how does that resonate down to 85 guys standing on the sideline? I don't know. But I can tell you this right now. From a Memphis standpoint, this is the game they feel like they have to win to get on the national map, to beat that big, bad SEC school. This is big for them. And I I can tell you, those coaches are sitting in those guys' heads and saying, hey, let me tell you something. We've won eight games for the last seven years. They're going to come in here and they're going to try to rinky-dink it down the field. We're going to pop them in the mouth and we're going to win this ball. I can guarantee you Memphis coaches have their players convinced right now they can win this football game. Absolutely. If you go back and look, Memphis beat Ole Miss in 15. They beat UCLA in 17. They beat Ole Miss again in 19. They've won these kind of games before. They need a marquee win at a critical time, not just in their history, but in the history of college football as things are reshuffling. They need to be on that stage. Eight wins a year ago wasn't good enough for them because they need to be at the 10-win level where they were a couple of years before. They need to be in the Cotton Bowls because now's the time somebody's got to find you. I get all that. And you know why they need it even more? Because they're playing in a dump of a stadium that's 56 years old. In the Liberty it's Bowl. the little sombrero. I, I hear you, but it's got to overcome a lot because you don't have a marquee facility either. Bottom line, though, I used to say that Southern Miss in the 80s would take the guy that was two inches too short, 20 pounds too light, the guy that State and Ole Miss didn't recruit, and then just come beat us blind, to go back to your phrase, because they wanted it more. Tomorrow, I don't care about want. You're the bigger team. You're the better team. You need to play like it. All right. Time now for our two players, right? Yes, time for our two players. I'll let you lead the way. We're on a roll here. we got a pattern. My first guy I'm going to talk to is about one of those guys. You just talked about a moment ago about how sometimes Southern Miss in years past would get the guy who 
may not have been as big, may not have been as fast, and then they take it and they beat you. Here's a guy that's going to want to play tomorrow, and this is the defensive end, Wardalis Ducksworth. Wardalis Ducksworth played at 2A High School in the state of Mississippi down in South Smith County at Mize, the Mize Bulldogs. He played for Kenny Robinson down there, went to Jones Junior College, he comes in, and he is going to be a pressure style on the outside. He's 6'4", 246. He's an undersized down tackle, but here's what they'll do with him. They'll move him around a good bit. 38 times last week, he was over the tackle. 30 times, he was outside the tackle, and only 16 times, they moved him inside the tackle. They move him around a lot to try to get pressure on the quarterback. How can we block Wardalis Ducksworth is going to be a big key in the game. Last week, he had three quarterback pressures, four tackles, one assist. He got two big hits on the quarterback at Arkansas State. We got to block this guy. He's going to have some want to. Played against some Mississippi school from Mize, Mississippi. And let me tell you something. I don't know if you've ever been around any guys from Smith County. I don't know if you've ever been to Sullivan's Hollow down in South Smith County. Those guys play with a chip on their shoulder. All right, so that's your first player. Who's your second player to keep an eye out for? I'm going to go with a nice, as we said, young lad quarterback, Seth Hennigan. He went 39-2 and in high school, 79 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. His dad was the coach over at Denton Ryan High School. They won the 5A state championship last year. He enrolled in January. Here's the thing about Seth Hennigan. As a freshman quarterback, what does it tell you to do? Does it tell you to blitz the quarterback? Does it tell you to get out? I, I said we got to get after him 15 times, and how do you get to him with pressure? Here's what's crazy. He has been better against the blitz than non-blitz. He's been blitzed 47% of the time this year, but he's completed 67% of his passes for 13 yards per attempt. 53% of the times he's been in a non-blitz situation. He's completed 60% of his passes for eight yards per attempt. So we have seen some teams drop the eight, rush the three, and have success. So therein lies the question, what you do tomorrow about coming after him or sitting back, that's going to be a big key. Last week in blitzes, 19 blitzes, he was 13 for 17, completed 77% of his passes. Last week, 9 of 16 in non-blitz situations, 56%. So anyway, here's a guy who's a freshman, Playing against an SEC school, I look for a guy like Aaron Brule to introduce himself very, very early. Yeah, I think that's the guy. I think that's the guy who has a very good chance to get turned loose. You know, Brule doesn't get after the quarterback much, but when he does, he's very effective. Yeah, when he gets there, he's not happy. <laughs> that's exactly right. I think you highlight something in that conversation, though, Bart, the difference in blitz and pressure. You know, the idea of blitz means we're bringing somebody extra. Pressure is what can we get with the guys who are coming anyway. And I think the key to Mara is more so not necessarily blitzing him, although I think you need to do that some. It's getting pressure. The other thing about it is when you look at those blitz numbers, the thing that Memphis has done a pretty good job of is picking up the blitz blocking-wise. And it's one thing to do that against Nickel State, not so much to do it against Mississippi State. So that's the stat. 13 of 17 times last week he was blitzed but he was 6-for-11 under pressure. So Arkansas State, two things there. Memphis did a good good job of picking up blitz, but Arkansas State got pressure at times without the blitz. And that I think that's one of the big keys for us tomorrow. Mix it up, do things different, try to speed it up for the young guys. So the other thing you mentioned, he is a quarterback from Denton Ryan. Denton is 
not too far from Dallas. It's home of the Mean Green, North Texas State. And one thing about quarterbacks in that area, they play very sophisticated offense by most standards nationally for high schools. Texas high schools are very, very well coached. And they will have an absolute army. Their coaching staff is as big as an SEC school. I mean, they they go all in. And yeah, they may have a close enough budget that a lot of these non-power fives have. <laughs> yeah, it's not that much different. <laughs> hey, but he, I tell you what, he did have at Denton Ryan. He had like four guys that went D one. One Oklahoma, one Texas. He had guys that went all over. He had a big time supporting cast at Denton Ryan too. Who's your two guys, Charlie? All right, my first guy. I've got, I'm going to go with number four and number five for Memphis. First one, number four is Calvin Austin. Calvin Austin the third. His Twitter handle is Can't Catch Calvin or something to that effect. And why is that? Well, he's an All-American track guy. You hear people all the time say he has sprinter speed. This guy literally has sprinter speed. He was an All-American in the 4 by 100 relay as a freshman. And, boy, has he been difficult for defenses. Here's what I like about Austin. Austin – Wanted to be a football player. He's a Memphis kid. He wanted to play for Memphis, but he got a track scholarship. He wanted to play football, and under the Bear Bryant rule, he couldn't take the track scholarship because you can't play football if you were on scholarship with another sport. So he walked on, gave up the scholarship to become a football player. He's going to make a lot of money one day because of that. He is averaging 23.5 yards per catch. How about this, though? 17 yards on average coming after the catch. He is very, very dangerous once he has the football. Now, in his career, he has shown the ability to make big plays. 46, 65, and 75-yard touchdowns in his time as a receiver. He had 10 more catches on vertical routes than anybody in his conference last year led the league, actually led the entire NCAA in that category. Here's the thing to watch. When Austin was a freshman, he took a jet sweep 75 yards for a touchdown. They've run it not once this year. They ran it a couple of times last year, a couple of times the year before. Fastest player on the field, you want to get him the football, do you maybe just pitch it to him once or so in the game and try to test this Mississippi State defense out on the edges when your running game otherwise wouldn't. So that's my first guy, Calvin Austin the third. Yeah, they've used him in the middle of the field this year. Six of his seven catches last week came in the middle of the field. The only ball he caught that was outside the middle was down deep down the left sideline. He caught a 37-yard pass play deep down left side in his in that deep left quadrant. Not a big guy, just 165 pounds. But when you go look at the highlights, he is open quite often with nobody around him. So this is going to be a burner that will really test the speed of the Mississippi State secondary. My second guy, Sean Dykes. He is the tight end, number five for Memphis, and here's why I think he will be important. He had nine catches last week. Five of those were for first downs. What does that tell you? I think back to when Dak was a young quarterback in the NFL and you had to make a play. Sometimes you just want Jason Witten. You want that guy who can basically post up and make a catch. It's not about yards after the catch. It's just about getting past the sticks and delivering it to him. Dykes had one catch in week one. Three targets. You get the idea that maybe he had a discussion with young Mr. Hennigan after that ball game. He was targeted ten times last week, caught nine of those. Dykes is a veteran. He's been around, and the one thing he can do is work the middle of the football field. You go back to talking, Bart, you mentioned this. They like to throw it in the middle. Watch on third downs. 
Dykes, the tight end, not a huge guy, 225, but he's big enough to post up some defenders. He is a guy to watch for for Memphis in this ballgame. Safety blanket. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now time for our one coach and my one coach. And you start talking about – Memphis being ready to play, I guarantee you here's a guy that's in their ear, especially in the secondary, saying how important this game is, and that guy is Charles Clark. He's in his second season at Memphis. Was at Ole Miss prior to being at Memphis, but he played at Ole Miss. Three-year starter for the Rebels, 2003 to 2006. He's a native of Green Cove Springs, Florida. Had three interceptions and 198 tackles over his career at Ole Miss, but he's moved around a good bit. In the college game, he was at San Jose State, he was at Duke, he was at Colorado with Mike McIntyre, came to Ole Miss with Mike McIntyre, spent a year at Oregon as a cornerback's coach, so he's been around a good bit, and he's now in Memphis, at Memphis in his second year, and so he's the guy that's going to be talking to all these DBs, getting their grill, talk a little trash, get after those Mississippi State receivers, and so my coach highlight this week is the defensive backs coach, Charles Clark. My coach highlight is going to be Mike McIntyre, the defensive coordinator for Memphis. McIntyre is an interesting character. He became the head coach at San Jose State. In his first year, they went 1-12. Two years later, in 2012, he had them at 10-2, finishing second in their league, going to a bowl game. Finished ranked in the top 25 that year. So the Colorado Buffaloes trying to rebuild their program out in the Pac-12 come to McIntyre. And in 2013... 4-8, 2014, 2-10. Boy, people are getting a little worried out in Boulder. After year three, he goes 4-9. But in 2016, McIntyre turns things around. Colorado goes 8-1 in the league. They go 10-4 overall, play in the Alamo Bowl, win their division in the conference, and all of a sudden it's time to start extending coaches. And McIntyre gets a five-year extension. He'd still be coaching there under that contract for 16, a little over $16 million. In 17, though, they struggle a little bit, go 5-7. and seven, But in 2018, they think they are back. They start 5-0. and oh. They beat Colorado State, Nebraska, Arizona State, UCLA, and then they lose six straight ballgames. McIntyre has shown the door. He reappears in 2019, just one season as the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Past two years, he has been the defensive coordinator at Memphis as he was not retained when Lane Kiffin came in. McIntyre, a guy that will mix things up on Mississippi State, and I can guarantee you he's having the same conversation that we are about his quarterback, and that is this. Young guy, likes to hold on to the football, let's get after him. Veteran coach, understands the game. That what you do on the offensive side, you've got some veterans on that defensive side from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, In fact, he was the national coach of the year. That year that they go to the Alamo Bowl, win 10 games at Colorado. Hey, Charlie, before we get into our two-minute drill, for breakfast this morning, you know what I did? Got a little country-pleasing jalapeno cheddar. Got a little jalapeno cheddar. Went nicely on a biscuit. It was fantastic. Country-pleasing sausage made right here in the state of Mississippi. They've got the storefront right there in Florence. Go through the butcher shop. That butcher shop has just grown. It's crazy the number of people. You can barely get in there. I mean, it's always packed. People using it for the weekends, use it for your tailgate. If you're trying to impress people at your tailgate at Mississippi State Games, and it's not just the sausage, the things that they do down there to get you ready to just put on the grill, it's awesome. 
but the staple, without doubt, is that great country-pleasing sausage at all your local grocers. You can find it in Kroger, Walmart in this area, a lot of a lot of grocery stores in the state of Mississippi, and they are branching out nationally right now, and it is taking the southeast and nation by storm. Man, they are getting it done. We talked a moment ago about Tracks Plus being a small business from the start and then kind of worked itself out and really, really big now. Country pleasing. Those guys have exploded. I'm just disappointed you didn't go with the maple blueberry on that biscuit. That's more of a breakfast sausage to me, but hard to go wrong with jalapeno cheddar. I wanted a little spice to start my Friday morning. Need a little extra pep today, huh? A little bit extra. I'm ready to watch you run that excavator. I hear you. All right, so it is time for our Two Brothers two-minute drill, and for lunch today I will be headed down to Two Brothers because it is getting to be the time of year where you can sit outside, enjoy a good meal, and Two Brothers has lots of places to be able to do that. They have good food. Some of my friends just swear by the hamburger. The wings, I think, are universally liked. For me, I'm a taco guy. I like to go in there, try out some of their different tacos. My daughter's the cheese fries. She's big fan of those barbecue cheese fries they have. And I go back to the point. I love the wings. I love their wings. Their wings, everything they smoke in there is good, whether it be just pulled pork or whatever. Everything I've had in there has been good. It's been solid every time. And if you want that college vibe too, I mean if you go in there, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night, you can get that college vibe. If you're you know, if you're in your thirties, whatever, and you want to kind of get back in that college frame of mind a little bit. But it's cranking down there in the cotton district. Yeah, on the other hand, if you're old like me, check them out at lunch. Uh, yeah, sit out on the patio. Do whatever right. you want to do. You've got some a lot of different experiences that you can have there. So it is time for our two brothers two-minute drill. And, Bart, you know the drill. You're going to blow the whistle. We're just going to banter back and forth. I think it was notes, quotes, and an opinion or two is what we've decided that our friend Rick Cleveland would have said back in the day. So – you ready to blow the whistle? Okay, when I blow the whistle, who goes first? You're going to get it started. Okay, all right. Here comes the whistle, and here comes my first little tidbit. Well, the musician Jason Isbell, formerly of the Drive-By Truckers, attended the University of Memphis studying in English and creative writing, but he lacks just one credit in physical education from getting his degree. Jack Crystal's first ball game calling Mississippi State football was in 19. 19- 53, a 34-6 Mississippi State win against Memphis. That ball game was played at Crump Stadium, which is now just a high school facility. A lot of people used to play. In fact, Texas, Arkansas played their game there once. Memphis International Airport is the busiest airport in cargo travel in the world, and it took that notoriety last year over Hong Kong. Thanks, FedEx. Two Starville guys on this Memphis team, Rodriguez Clark and Jaleel Clemens, playing in this ball game tomorrow, so a little local flavor for our Starkville crowd. Ryan Silverfield is in his second season as the head coach at Memphis, but he was also the head coach one year in 2014 at Memorial Day School in Savannah, Georgia. They went just one and nine. By the way, their nickname's the Matadors. Memphis has had a lot of success in football recently. In fact, two years ago, College Game Day from ESPN appeared there for a game. Mike Norvell, who was coaching then, left and went to Florida State. How are things going for him there? Booger McFarland has already come out and said that he wants to see Norvell replaced with Deion Sanders. And going back to Ryan Silverfield, he is a graduate of Hampton, Sydney, in the state of Virginia, and it's one of only three schools that are four-year all-male liberal arts colleges with Moorhead and Wabash. 
And also, Hamden Sydney is the 18th oldest school in America, and it was the last school that was founded just before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Arguably the best football player to come out of Memphis is Isaac Bruce, former wide receiver of the NFL. He went to four Pro Bowls, was an All-Pro numerous times, and his 15,208 receiving yards, fifth career all-time in the NFL. And two media personalities that some people think talk a little bit too much. Tim McCarver and Paul Feinbaum both are from Memphis and went to Christian Brothers High School. Bart likes to focus on the service that we'll be playing on. This will be the first time this season that Mississippi State has played on artificial turf. The Liberty Bowl, artificial turf since 2005. All right, two-minute drill. Hey, you went a little bit more football-centric in Memphis, University of Memphis-centric. I went a little bit more like regional, like city of Memphis. That's okay. By the way, if you want something for city of Memphis, you know, they made a couple of efforts to get an NFL expansion team. Some worked, some, well, none of them worked. Some of them had a little more threat to succeed than others. The Memphis Showboats played in the Liberty Bowl. And after the Showboats experience, Memphis was trying to court an NFL team. They were going to name them the Hound Dogs. How about that? Brother, really? Well, you know, they played in Memphis twice. Well, the the Oilers played in Memphis two years. Well, they bailed after the first year. That's right. And went to Vanderbilt because you talk about bad crowds. (laughs) Memphis wasn't going to support a team for kind of their rival city, Nashville. Yep. It'd be like me trying to support Noxipater. I understand that. Hey, I enjoyed that. It's always fun. Now the great part of it is we get to come back on Sunday and see if any of this is right. It's one thing to come in on Sunday morning and complain, but now we're at least putting it out there, what we anticipate could or might happen. So that's another episode of getting together, trying to get through some numbers, and taking a look at the opponent. Bart, final thoughts. Mississippi State win this game, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we win this game. We, we will win this football game. If we don't, then I don't want to hear any excuses out of you. Well, I've told you, zero is my number of excuses. I think Mississippi State wins this game, and I think we wake up Sunday saying, why was everybody predicting this game to be so close? And if we don't, you can expect a hostile Charlie Winfield on Sunday coffee. So thanks for listening again, and thanks, too, to our sponsor, Tracks Plus, who brings us this weekly deep dig. Thanks to Farm Bureau. We are here in the Farm Bureau studios Two brothers, if you like smoked meat, if you like tacos, you like burgers, especially if you like wings, not a better place to go. And also to country-pleasing sausage. Look, we can't light a grill at my house without throwing on some country-pleasing. Get some, throw it on there, jalapeno cheddar, it's the way to go. Try it out, and uh, you'll thank us. But so long, we'll be back here on Sunday to see how our prognostications fare. Appreciate you guys listening to the Tracks Plus Deep Dig.